great conversation today. I'm telling you, these things just keep getting better. Today we're talking with Mark Hoppelmazian. We get exclusive insights into his world, shares his four keys to leadership behavior, and we get his vision for the hotel experience of the future. Thanks for joining. Hey Mark, thank you for joining me today. You're looking great. How are we feeling? Feeling really good. Thank you very much. Appreciate the uh, opportunity to join you. Oh, I love it. You're a, you're a gem for joining me. What, where are you? How's Chicago? It's beautiful in Atlanta today. Yeah, I'm actually in my office today. Uh, I haven't been here too much, but um, uh, you know, unfortunately, there, there are not many other people here. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's we got a lot of snow overnight for the first time. This is really the first snowfall of the year. But um, it's Chicago, and it's it's actually beautiful when the snow falls. So we're we're all, we're all in good shape here. Well, Chicagoans love Chicago when it snows in the winter. Yeah. Yeah. So how is the office? Is the office open? Is it closed? What's the, what's the vibe in the office? Um, it's open, uh, but the maximum number of people that have shown up on any given day is about somewhere between 10 and 15% of the people who are officed here. And uh, it's not different than it was during the course of the year last year. I think people are just discovering what's okay for them. Uh, of course, if you go back a few weeks, the surge here was like it was many places. So there was even fewer people here, but um, you know, we actually have improved tremendously. So Chicago has gone down to tier one, which is the lowest level before you basically don't have any restrictions. Okay. Um, so you can have indoor dining at 25%. You can convene, uh, have meetings uh, with participants at 25, up to 25 people because the case rate has dropped significantly. And we're now starting to see after this surge and then the post-Christmas surge around the country, we're also seeing a significant decline in case rates. So this is all positive news. So, so keep going with that. How, what, do you, what, do you, what do you see the future? I mean, do you think that trend's gonna continue? When are people gonna start traveling? When's business gonna come back? Give me your go, keep going. Okay, well. Uh, first, I would say that anybody who makes predictions into the future, if it's too far into the future, especially during a, a time like this, is just either kidding themselves or kidding other people. So these are guesses. Yeah. Um, the second thing I would say is the one thing we've learned through last year is whatever you think the, uh, you, whenever you think you've gotten your hands around what's going to happen, it changes. So the stuff that changed since the time that we had. Um, vaccines get approved, for example, are new variants. Like, what do you do with that? That was, that was, a, that was out of the blue. Um, the good news is the vaccines are effective against them. Um, apparently the South African variant is uh, a, a different slice of variant, so they, it's gonna require an additional booster. Um, but I think that the, the bad news is that we're gonna continue to ride a roller coaster for a while, and the, and the variants will create a little bit more volatility as a result of that. The good news is that the science, the platform on which the vaccines were developed, this mRNA platform, is really robust and allows for pretty rapid modification of the vaccines. So the variations, this booster, for example, will take only weeks to develop, not months. So that's the good news. Um, but on balance, with countries shutting down like the UK um, and others considering it, and with the risk that the UK variant, which is already in the United States, might spread very rapidly, um, I think we're in for several months of sort of keeping the, the hatch battened down and continuing to wear masks and being very vigilant about that. I think we're going to be wearing masks for most of this year, actually. Um, but I do see with 
a new initiative from Washington, um, putting a lot of weight and effort and money behind vaccination, that which is brand new. Has, we've never had federal support for vaccination and for testing. So we are now, they're now leaning into it heavily. I think it will make a difference, but let's face it, it's gonna take at least three months for that to really start to have an impact on the ground. But once it takes hold, I think the, you're gonna see a massive acceleration in vaccination in the second quarter. Okay, I love that. I, this is great. I'm sitting down with Dr. Hoplamazian. Well, you know, we've all, we've all been forced to, to understand uh, epidemiology and virology throughout this whole thing because you can't keep track of what's going on unless you dive into this stuff a little bit. <laughs> okay, you're in your own med school that you're going through. <laughs> uh, all right, so wait, so stick with this time frame now because right? so I, I think it's important. So I, I know second half, that's what we're all kind of seeing. That's what you think. And the main thing is business traveler, right? And when do, maybe I should ask that way, when do corporations like Hyatt and others let the people start traveling, liability being a big issue? When do you think the business traveler comes back? Yeah, I actually, I think the third quarter is going to be a transitional quarter. And I don't think we see business travel start uh, really in earnest until the fourth quarter. Um, and let's face it, the third quarter is not the heaviest business travel period of time anyway. It's mostly leisure anyway. So I think we will start to see business travel um, kick up in the fourth quarter. And I think it's going to surge at a very significant pace into 2022. Um, groups. Um, I think there's a there's a chance we could start to see groups come back in the same time frame, not at the same pace as transient business travel, but um, you know we all the major brands have, have launched their different um, hybrid meeting solutions, but really right now to date it's only be, been repackaging of existing stuff that we've got as opposed to a really different platform, which is what we're working on. And the, di the difference, primary difference from my perspective is. You can, you can append a digital channel to an in-person meeting and call it hybrid. But what you're not solving for is what is the reason why people attend conferences, including yours, which is the connections and the human experience. So we are working on how we can bring a true human dimension to a hybrid meeting so that it, it's much more meaningful and much more connective um, than just having a digital channel to an in-person meeting. Do you think we can do that? Because I'm going to speak for everybody and say we're over the Zoom stuff, but do you think we can bring the personalization to a hybrid meeting? We, I think we can. It's going to require a really different um, mindset and approach to how you do it. By the way, just to be really clear, I'm a very, very strong believer that it's not a substitute. Okay. So I think in-person meetings are essential. I think and anybody who's predicting, like one of the things that I would say is we're getting a lot of predictions, mostly from tech company CEOs who are saying business travel is going to be down permanently 25 to 50%. Bill Gates is way out there at 50. Remember that Microsoft has uh, a meetings platform that he's promoting. So let's take it with a grain of salt. Um, but anybody making predictions like that is, is making a mistake because in the same way that you could not possibly have imagined the emotional and psychological and um, mental strains that we have experienced in the midst of COVID before COVID happened. You also cannot predict what the release and the elation and the incredible satisfaction and fulfillment of what it's going to be like to be able to be with people again without social distancing and without masks. And I think that that's going to take hold in a way that nobody can predict. 
And I think everyone will quickly come to understand that the human dimension of, first of all, human beings, but also travel is one of the most important things. And I think that's why these predictions are way overblown. Um, now, do I think that there are gonna be some structural shifts? Absolutely. There will be some decline in certain types of business travel, but nobody who makes these grand predictions about what percent will decline are taking account of new things that will happen, new purposes of visit. I'm talking to a bunch of tech and um, consultancy CEOs, and their number one concern is they have, they have relied on on-site, like having their teams travel to a client site. That on-site interactions amongst their colleagues is where the interstitial tissue of the relationships of their colleagues comes, comes into play and where the culture takes hold. So they can actually use those interactive times for building culture and differentiating themselves from an employment brand perspective. With that now, the potential for that to be not available because people are gonna be wor working remotely, their concern is I need to find a place, a space in which we can actually convene and establish those connections again and enforce our culture, demonstrate the value of, of the, our values. Um, they're really concerned about this. And you know what? Everyone's shrunk their office uh, footprint. They don't have meeting space in their hotel, in their, in their, in their offices, so they're going to turn to hotels. So we're talking to a number of companies who, who are actively thinking about this as an essential piece of uh, the immediate post-COVID era, era is if they're going to if they're going to remain more remote, they need somehow to bring people together. So that's just one example of how, while everyone's focused on what how to how to measure the decline from the old normal in 2019, nobody's taking into account what the new environment is going to be and what the new opportunities might be. So that's why I don't think I think there might be a net decline, but I don't think it's material in business transfer. So you think office and hotel are going to mix? I mean, I agree. Who knows? But I'm, I'm envisioning co-working in a hotel. That's already happening. Yeah, yeah, that's already happening. So we, we launched um, Work From Hyatt program where you could, you know, we've got a, a particular program put together. You can come and bring your family and, and work from Hyatt or do school from Hyatt. Um, we also have office for a day where if you're working from home and you just need a, a change in venue for a day, you can come in. They use of a room sometimes meeting room, sometimes guest room. We're just launching um, the Great Relocate, which is a, a month stay. So we're selling months away, um, dedicated to taking your family or just your, your significant other or yourself and just committing yourself to be away for a month. Um, and the take rate has been much higher than we expected. We just launched it. Um, we're just trying to find different ways to give people a break. People need a change of venue, they need a change of scenery, and they need um, also a place where they can get outside and, and um, get some exercise. Um, and especially if you work, live in a cold climate, the idea of getting away for a month, still working, but um, doing it in a very different environment is pretty attractive. So these are the kinds of things that I think we need to continue to promote. And I don't think that a lot of these things are gonna go away post-COVID, I think they'll still remain as, as um, offerings for guests and customers. All right, I, I love it. You're talking both sides, out of, out of the hotel owner and the corporate leader. So yeah. maybe some other things that you think will stay with us in the hotel space going forward. And I don't know if that's on the operation side or the brand side, brand standards or what, but how do you think our world looks differently uh, a year from now? 
Look, um, what I would say first and foremost is um, we, are, we are the biggest owner of Hyatt Hotels in the world. So we eat our own cooking. We, we walk in the shoes of every owner that we support in our system. And I know precisely how hard 2020 was as an owner. Um, it, it, uh, it tested us in so many different ways. We had to get um, super innovative and, and, and throw, the rule book, throw the playbook right out the window and start thinking differently. And one of the things that we turned to right away was um, you know, cross-functional teams that were covering many, many different jobs. Because you know, when you're running 30% occupancies, you simply can't staff every function in a hotel. But the good news is that the, it, it presented an opportunity for a lot of colleagues who said, yeah, I'll take that on because I wanna learn that. I, this is a new area for me, I get to grow. And as we come out of this thing, I will have an enhanced uh, skill set. It's also necessary from an economic perspective, you can't afford to have a full team on board. Um, the second thing that we turned to was um, digital. And the digital applications um, are pretty powerful. So the first thing that uh, hotel teams that were reopening hotels in the June, July timeframe recognized is they had to basically sweep the room of all printed materials. They created the QR code, they fixed it to the um, credenza or to the desk. You walk in the room, the room is completely clean. By the way, there's a significant cost savings over time that will be with us forever. You scan the QR code, but, and you now have on your phone uh, with you handy all the time, everything you need to know. We then said, okay, that's good, but what we're now seeing is stress and strain with respect to the transactional aspects in our restaurants. So we really quickly said, great, we must get to a point where you can order and pay using your device sitting in one of our restaurants in one of our hotels, including the, ca the cafe for breakfast or where at any different venue around the hotel. So I do, love, I do think that's one of the high strengths, right? I mean, of course, they're a family business, right? Where it's the high family, the Pritzker family. Uh, oh, by the way, you own a lot of your real estate, which is uh, aligns you with your ownership entities. But I yep. think that's what makes our industry so amazing. Our owners are fundamentally amazing people, entrepreneurial spirit, throw whatever you want to at them. We're going to handle it. We may not love it, but we're going to fix it. And we're going to come up with new and creative ideas. And you guys are brilliant for listening to that. Yep. You don't control all the good ideas in the room. So kudos to you. Yeah, well, thank you for that. You know, um, for a long time, our corporate purpose as a company is to care for people so they can be their best. And the difference between caring for someone and just serving them is empathy. You have to practice empathy, which means really listening intensely, intensely, intensively and understanding what they need. Um, that's really what we've leaned on more than any other thing as we managed through this COVID uh, crisis. And we've been um, in such intense discussions with our owners, um, with our colleagues who are going through all kinds of uh, various uh, challenges for sure. Um, our focus on well-being came out of that. Uh, our enhanced focus on well-being came out of that. But with respect to owners, you know, we 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 quickly realized we needed to do pull several level, le levers. So reducing fees um, that that uh, were billable to them, um, negotiating with third parties to reduce uh, what we needed to pay to third-party vendors, and also brand standards. Um, those were three quick things that we decided we we just had to do. Listening to our our owners. And now as we evolve, 
we have the owners at the table as we now go and, and identify new and different types of digital engagement tools, including a new engagement tool to uh, keep them updated on, on what we're doing. Talk to me about other verticals, though. What, other, what, what directions do you think, uh, Hyatt, you got to get new and inventive, and I don't know if I mean new brands or not, but what other verticals is Hyatt focusing on? Well, you know, we, we were launching a new brand called Caption um, when COVID hit. Um, we're very excited about the brand. We'll have a few openings this year and um, later this year uh, into next year. Um, and um, I'm really excited about it because it is a very heavily lifestyle infused um, select service uh, hotel with a very, very, very different kind of uh, public space experience. So that's one key thing. I think that's, it's just, it, it feels to me like there's more and more demand for exactly that. Our, our core select service portfolio, High Place High House, now has over 500 hotels. We opened 35 or 36 hotels last year. So we still have momentum in those brands and we're excited about that and we have critical mass. Um, but we do think that this extra leg is gonna provide a lot of really interesting development opportunities going forward. I think the biggest mega theme I would point to though is well-being. I think um, when people start to travel again, everyone's gonna be that much more focused on their own well-being and how they can actually recharge and rejuvenate. And I think a lot of that has to do with um, just mental stress, mental stresses and strains. And so how we can bring well-being practices to our guests. We, we did an exclusive deal with Headspace to provide um, Headspace to our guests and our colleagues, uh, or World of Hype members and our colleagues. But it has to go way beyond that. And we've got Miraval as a core asset in the portfolio, and they have a very rich and deep reservoir of knowledge about self-care. And so we're going to be doing a lot more to bring that learning into what we can actually provide to guests as they travel around the system. So I think that well-being is not just here to stay, but it's going to be growing. The, the focus on it's going to be growing tremendously. So you mentioned the global world of Hyatt. So let, let, let me, let's talk globally. What are you learning, if anything, from the rest of the world and the, what the guests are expecting there that you might bring home? I'm thinking Europe, China, Asia, what have you. What are you learning? Yeah, I mean, I think um, we, we, we're sort of past the point where everyone understands and, and, um, and realizes that you need to have a safe and hygienic environment, right? Everyone, those were table stakes right off the bat. We did ours through a cross-functional um, team. We had an airline, a rental car company, and a bunch of other experts on our council, which we're going to continue to operate. Um, and that was really helpful. But now people want something different. So... One, some of the programming that actually triggered the work from Hyatt programming uh, uh, product was stuff that, again, hotel teams came up with. So again, hats off to them. Um, things like picnic dinners um, with, you know, outdoor on the lawn if it's in warm weather, obviously, or balcony, uh, eating out on a balcony and having like room service served out on a balcony or, or private venues. Um, also, a lot of well-being practices, so um, using rooftops for yoga um, practices, um, different things where you can be outside, be safe. Um, so they've integrated using the idea that it needs to be safe and hygienic with it needs to be meaningful and fulfilling and actually um, something that's going to make a difference in the guest experience. So those are the kinds of things that had, took, took off 
um, and really were well appreciated by guests. And we just decided that we had enough of those things to actually offer something truly unique in a work from Hyatt kind of uh, offering. I'm going to dive into some of your leadership. You mentioned the leadership, so I'm going to dive into you. I want to let me start. You've been at Hyatt a long time. You've been I in have. the industry a long time. Yeah. Uh, may I ask, how have you seen Hyatt change, uh, and and what leadership are you learning from yourself that has happened in the last year because of this pandemic? I mean, it's a vastly vastly different company that you work at today than you worked at nine months ago. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it's smaller for one thing, because we had uh, unfortunately, excruciatingly painfully had to let a lot of people go. Um, and the second thing is that we're closer. I mean, the bonds that we experience, you know, we, as you mentioned earlier, everyone who works at Hyatt, we refer to everyone who works at Hyatt as part of members of the Hyatt family. Um, and the reason is because the culture is essentially based on, and our foundation is personal and emotionally based relationships it's not a transactional environment at all so we don't we don't treat each other like units of production where we're just trying to get something done and then moving on um, but those 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 ties that bind have gotten so much stronger over the course of the past year it's like it's like life if you've lived through something really dangerous with a friend or your spouse or whatever and you were there together that that shared experience is that's that is that's what steals the relationships, you know, and really strengthens it tremendously. And that's where really where we are. Um, I would say the second thing is we talked a lot about empathy and listening and then doing something about it because we were increasingly concerned about the well-being of our colleagues. Um, and we what's the old adage? If I had more time, I would have written you a shorter letter. It's hard to simplify things. So we actually reduced all of the things we reflected on this in the, in the fall and said, what are the key behaviors, leader behaviors, that have actually gotten us through this crazy time, not just surviving, but actually being well positioned for the future? And we came up with four. The first is empathy. So you've got to keep listening. Two ears and one mouth. You've got, you've got to use them in that proportion always. Second is well-being. Back to what we were talking about earlier. The third is inclusion. And that comes from two different perspectives. The first is, of course, from a DEI perspective, higher level of inclusion and inclusivity in the environment. But also, increasingly, we're learning so much from our digital software developers in the agile way of doing um, software development, which is highly cross-functional, very outcomes-focused, and rapid uh, test and learn cycles. And so, that those teams are highly cross-functional. And when you are more inclusive, you end up with better answers and you can move much faster. And we've now applied that thinking and that a way of working, not just to software development, but to how we actually operate the business. And the fourth area is experimentation. When, when this whole thing hit, I sat down with the uh, commercial services team and I said, guys, you can throw every algorithm that we've got for revenue management, all of which is based on historical data, historical longitudinal information on customers and guests, right out the window. Because what, what we look at now bears no resemblance whatsoever, none, to how we've, our, our, our experience in, you know, on a run rate basis. So it, it's all gone. So we got a whiteboard. How are we gonna find demand? Where will we find it? What information could we use? Forget about stay patterns. Um, we, we, we lived most of 2020 
with 75% of our in-house guests having booked their travel in the four days that preceded their stay. 75%. So you've got zero visibility. So that was, the, that was the big challenge. And the team left the room a little shell-shocked, but said, it's absolutely right. Of course, that's what's true. So where are we going to go? How are we going to do this? And we started launching into every data set we could find and figured out how to synthesize with medical information that we had from the University of Washington, the whole, all of the incidents and virus data, with booking data, with airline input, with TSA input, with Google input from their mobility tracking and the footfall data that you can get. And we assembled a prism through which we could actually start to identify where we were seeing more activity. And that sort of thinking, which is whatever you thought was relevant before, forget about it. You've got to discover afresh. We got to go towards things and try things and continue to move really quickly because it's changing every day, every week. So we're bringing that into 2021 with us because 2021 is not going to be a normal year by any stretch of the imagination. So we are in more discovery this year. So those are the four behaviors. And I think, I think just reducing it to the four things that we think had the biggest impact on our ability to get through 2021 and come out of it thriving is really helpful because we get to reinforce it over and over again. But these are the critical elements of leadership that we need to see in Hyatt leaders as we move forward. Mark, this is great. I wrote those four things down, by the way. Sorry, I wrote this down. I'm taking notes. Uh, all right, I'm going to pick on you. I'm going I'm to dive in personally. I'm going to keep going. So I'm going to ask you a question that was recently asked to me, uh, and it made me think. So I'm going to ask you, what have you learned, Mark, about yourself during this pandemic? Um, a lot. <laughs> um, I, I guess what I would say is um, I, I'm one of those people where when uh, – faced with a with a acute threat, my inclination is to go straight at it and uh, dive into it. And I feel like I was effective in doing that. So I, I guess I would say I, I'm happy that, you know, my sense of my own sense of resiliency is is intact. Uh, and it's also important to add that I've learned that I'm not Superman. And um, the year took a toll on me, um, especially Having to let a lot of people go was really, uh, that really left a deep wound. Um, and unfortunately, immediately following that period of time, George Floyd was murdered. And that also, what, so I was, everyone was sort of emotionally exposed at that moment at Hyatt, and then that happened. So it was an extremely emotional summer. Um, so I would say, you know, uh, that all takes a toll on you. I did get take time off over the over the Christmas and New Year's period, and I really needed it. Um, I realized that I was strung out and basically um, um, spent by the time the year ended. So I think that I came into this year really uh, appreciating that and thinking to myself, you know, I keep preaching self-care. You know how the airlines say you got to put your own oxygen mask on first before you help others. It's true, and I'm now seeing it, you know, up close and personal for me. Um, so I would say everyone's got to pay attention to it. Like there's, there's no, uh, nobody is made of uh, titanium, and uh, you got to get through a recognition that you got to take care of yourself in order to continue to be effective. Great advice. All right, so let me. You're now a part of your. I'm going to call it volunteer, but it's probably self-serving too. But you're now chairman of the board of uh, AHNLA. Yeah. which we have all learned is very valuable 
to our industry and kudos to Chip and the team uh, and they're doing a great job. So well, what visibility do you have? What are you learning? What guidance are you giving them? And give us some insights. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, we have a whole new, whole new chapter here uh, as the administration turns over and we have a lot of work to do. Um, so first and foremost, we need a long-term recovery plan for our industry that's supported by specific government initiatives. The PPP program uh, was only of limited uh, benefit uh, for all of our hotel owners in the industry that have CMBS debt. It was particularly irrelevant. They weren't able to actually tap and utilize any of those dollars and the Main Street Lending Fund was a complete um, failure, uh, uh, almost a 100% failure and didn't make any money available to people who have CMBS debt. So, um, that's the first thing we need. We need to continue to make sure that not just the money that the government provides, but how they provide it can be used by uh, owners in our industry to be able to maintain their businesses. Um, so that's the, that's the number one focus by far. Um, now, attendant to that, we're also focused on acceleration of vac vaccination. We pleaded with the government, uh, the last administration, to get more involved. It's not just in vaccination preparation because the vaccines hadn't really been approved until the very end of the year, but also in testing. Their, their commitment to testing was non-existent and testing is essential because we're gonna have a long period of time between the time that vaccines start to ramp and the time that we get to herd immunity. It's gonna be months and months and months, several quarters. During that period of time, the unlock for our industry is testing. And eventually, once the case rates come down enough, it's tying testing and contact tracing together, then you're really in great shape. That's, that's how China has had a tremendously positive 2020. They have a, a nationwide contact tracing uh, system, and the case rate came down so much that they could actually contain and cordon off any small outbreaks that they had. Um, that's kind of where we need to head because we're not gonna to get to herd immunity fast enough for that to actually dominate. So this administration actually understands that. So they're putting a lot of money behind testing now, which I think testing platforms, rapid tests. Uh, we now offer rapid tests in all of our hotels in Mexico and the Caribbean. So more and more, we're gonna need testing solutions, by the way, at more efficient and effective pricing, because right now it's still very expensive, but we're gonna need more of that in order to actually support higher levels of mobility. I personally have talked to a lot of airline executives about this exact topic because that's actually essential for them to get back in the air as well. Um, and then the other thing that is on our minds is liability protection. Now, I have to tell you that realistically, uh, because of political reasons, I think our chances of having significant change in protections with respect to uh, COVID-related liability for operators and owners is um, gonna be limited. I think we had a better chance with the Republican administration, um, but um, you know, I think that's gonna be more limited. So we need to, we, but we do, need to, we do need to narrow the focus of what it is that owners and operators would be liable for theoretically in the COVID world. Um, I just don't think it's appropriate if if you have a good actor, someone who's actually following industry standards and has a regimented um, hygiene and safety and uh, cleanliness program, they should not be held liable for someone who happens to contract COVID, among other things. We know that it's almost impossible to determine where that 
was contracted and so forth. So this is, this is one of the underlying uh, issues. The final thing I would say, because I'm also on the board of Brand USA, is we have to, we have to get um, international travel going again. It's declined. It was on the decline before COVID hit, and now it's non-existent. So we're going to need to lean into that pretty heavily. And I think Brand USA is set up to do it. Um, but the government also needs to recognize that they're going to need to support that as well with TSA practices, with bilateral agreements with other TSA organizations, their, their counterparts in other countries, just to free up the travel. So those are the, those are the priorities as we head into this year. Uh, Mark, I, I love all of this. Um, I was supposed to go on an international trip with YPO recently, and I chose not to, partially because I didn't want to get stuck and yeah. not be able to get back in. So I like here in your uh, Hawaii and your Caribbean and Mexico, if you're doing the testing there, that's your path to getting back in. We got to loosen these up. There's things we can do, I think, in the private sector that can help get this travel back. I agree so with you. Yeah. Uh, Mark, you're amazing. You're an incredible leader in our industry. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Uh, any parting words that you want to, words of wisdom you want to leave us with? I'll give you one last voice. Yeah, I guess I would say, look, as much as I um, think that this is going to be a tough and tumultuous year, my confidence in the return of travel couldn't be higher. I think the pent-up demand that we hear from every corner of our guest base and our customer base is remarkable. Um, we just need to st stay open, keep listening very carefully and closely, and then be responsive to that because we're going to need to evolve what we do for our key customers and how we how we serve guests better um, in this post-COVID world. But my overall overarching confidence that we're coming back um, with a vengeance. And I think 2022, 2022 is going to be a rocket ship of recovery um, is very high. So I want to thank you for everything you're doing to help support the industry. I really appreciate it. And, um, and to everyone who's listening, thanks and keep well. Mark, I love it. Uh, thank you. Thoughts on leadership, thoughts on the future of the industry. You're a great man. I appreciate all you do for all of us. So keep up the good work. Thanks so much, Steve. Take care. Thanks, Mark. Bye. Bye-bye.